and you may be seated. Well, it's great to see you today. Hey, I got some good news this week from our contractor. He told me uh, the architect is just about done with the plans. The structural engineers had a more difficult time with them than he thought he originally would because we're literally changing about 90% of this building, and uh, it's much harder to add on. So that's good news. We're moving forwards. But uh, I missed you last week. I was out of town with a very important young man in my life, and uh, I want to show you a little picture or two. But uh, our, uh, my son, uh, his wife had their first little baby, and this is just before the baby was born. And we could tell from the nurses that it could be any minute, so we decided we wanted to hear the first little cry. And uh, that's what we were doing there. We were kind of sneaking a peek. Of course, that's my son, John, and that's, uh, that's his little guy. That's just real shortly after he was born. Well, what else we got there? Alan ah, snuck in the picture there. Look at that little guy looking up at his daddy. He's already a worshiper. <laughs> well, there you go. He's ready to go to church here in Texas. And uh, anyway, two real proud, uh, proud aunts. And there am I with his little moosey. The only bad thing, he's in Rogers. So I'm looking for someone that can uh, go up there with me as I steal him down from Texas and uh, kind of block a little bit with me. But listen, uh, very big time in our life, and uh, we appreciate uh, the goodness of the Lord as it comes in so many ways to us. I want to read a passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 4, uh, the timing here in the early church. Of course, Jesus has ascended to heaven the day of Pentecost has come. The fullness of the Spirit is in the midst of the church. And now these Christians are just living out their faith. Peter and John go to the temple. They're going at the time of prayer. They're literally just going to seek the Lord. When all of a sudden they see a crippled guy, the Spirit of the Lord comes on them. And they literally pray and minister healing to this man. And this man that had never walked is walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you would think the world would be excited about but the Jews were envious. They were jealous. And they decided, listen, we're going to squelch Christianity. Listen, Jesus might have slipped through our fingers, but we're going to stop the disciples. So that was the spirit of the world against them. So they threatened Peter and John, the early apostles. And we pick up this passage where Peter and John come back. Verse 23 says, When they were released, they came to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. That was the threats. And when they heard that, they lifted their voices to God. Now this was their response. There's a group of people gathered together, just like our assembly this morning. They lifted their voices to God. And the prayer was this, Sovereign Lord who made heaven, earth, the sea, and everything in it. In other words, they're proclaiming the greatness of God, the strength of God, that God's more powerful than whatever is aligned against them. And they say, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and make them stop and leave us alone. Is that what it says? No. They didn't say, Lord, just make the problem stop, but they said this. Lord, would you give your servants boldness so we can continue to speak your word with all boldness? In other words, they were men and women that were on a mission from God. The, the Great Commission had consumed their life, and they were seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to proclaim the word. Verse 30, Lord, will you stretch out your hand to heal or heal the sick? Let signs and wonders be performed through the name of Jesus. In other words, like two railroad tracks. Uh, they were preaching the word of God, but they were asking the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things through them. And verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Now, whether it was an earthquake or some spiritual experience, I don't know. But the Bible says they were all, say this with me, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This idea of being filled with the Spirit, they had yielded their lives to the control of the Spirit, and there was some supernatural activity taking place uh, in their lives. Well, listen, uh, that's what I'm praying for in my own life. That's what I'm encouraging you as we walk through the book of Acts in this series called Uncharted. It's a series about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're looking today especially in the book of Acts, and I'm encouraging you to look as I look at the book of Acts, not just as a book of church history, but see it as the potential and possibility for how church could be today. How many know we're not helpless? How many know we have the same Holy Spirit that lives in us as lived in the early church? How many know Jesus went to the right hand of the Father? He said, it's better if I go to heaven because I'm going to send the Spirit to you. So my hope this morning is that I can, again, in this series, continue to broaden your expectation for God's supernatural hand to be in our life as we do the primary task of the church, which is evangelizing or reaching people for Christ. Now, today I want to talk about spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at three different aspects. Number one, I'm going to look at one of the uh, lists of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. And these nine gifts, I'm going to come back to. We're going to kind of divide them in two categories. One of which, what I call revelation gifts. These are the first six gifts. And then what I'll call power gifts. And what we'll do is we'll look at five short passages in the book of Acts to see how these gifts were at work at the church. And lastly, we'll get real practical about what the Bible says about how we receive spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are different than natural abilities. I was born with a kind of a detailed, almost OCD side. Uh, I have other staff members that are very creative. I mean, if you look at, you know, my desk and workspace, it's, it's kind of organized and everything's in piles. Uh, if you look at someone else's papers everywhere and they don't even need papers, they throw them away. We're different and these personalities are uniquely given by God. But a spiritual gift is a bit different than this. Some gifts are literally endowments of the Holy Spirit, particularly callings of God. But yet some gifts the Bible will teach us that we can seek after, that we can desire. So we're going to explore this subject together. And uh, let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we talk about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, there are several lists uh, in the Scripture. Maybe that's a sign from heaven. We should just... Romans lists motivational gifts. Ephesians 4 lists gifted ministries. But here in Corinthians, I want to read through this list with you. The scripture says in verse 4, there's different kinds of gifts, but they're all from the same spirit. He goes on to say there's different ways that God works through people. He goes on to say, verse 7, something from the spirit can be seen in each person for the common good. And the essence of this is that God has given all of us a spiritual gift. In our Connect class, one of the things that we do is we have people take a spiritual, gift inv uh, spiritual gifts inventory and then they'll meet with a coach to try to help them find a place in the church to be able to serve the Lord, to, to use their passions. But the Bible says all of us have gifts. These gifts are not only for the benefit of the body, but particularly as we reach and minister to people that are in the world. Um, verse 8, and as we list the gifts, and what I want to do is I just want to briefly look at these nine gifts and maybe give a little explanation to it, and then we'll give some further examples in the book of Acts. But look at verse 8. 
For to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, or some translations say a word of wisdom. Now, one translator calls it wise advice, but this is not just wisdom that comes from experience. This is God-given experience, or God-given wisdom. I mean, know the older you get, one of the advantages of age is you have the experience of life. And if a young person's starting out in a career, you know, they, they'll often ask a mentor or someone that's gone before them and say, what should I do or how should I approach this? This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about supernatural wisdom. If you read this morning in this morning's Bible reading in Chronicles, uh, God was talking to Solomon, and Solomon's wisdom was unlike any person on the earth. One example, if you recall, there were two women. They both had babies, and uh, one of them rolled over in the middle of the night and, and, and smothered their child, and the baby was dead, so she swapped babies with the other mom. And uh, lo and behold, they're arguing over whose baby is alive. They didn't have DNA testing or anything like that. So what Solomon did is Solomon, they brought him to King Solomon, and Solomon said, give me a sword and cut the baby in half. We'll give each mother a half, and they'll be satisfied. And one mom said, okay, sounds good to me. But the other mom says, no, 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 give the child to her. And Solomon said, that's the real mom. And, and they were awed. You see, it wasn't just something he learned in a book or he learned from experience, but God gave him supernatural wisdom. I mean, don't you know, we need wisdom in our state government today. We need wisdom uh, as we look at the, the fractured nation we're in. Our nation is, is torn apart, uh, whether we're going to watch football or not, because should we kneel or should we stand? I mean, no, people with not just economic sense or not just concerns for issues of equality. I mean, no, we need people with biblical wisdom to show us God's answers for the day. Well, this is what this gift implies. Um, it, it continues to another, the utterance of knowledge or a word of knowledge. Now, again, this isn't learned knowledge, but it's revealed knowledge. How many have ever lost their car keys? All right. Would it be fair to say, you, you that have never lost them, we hold you in such great esteem if I could just honor you today. But, but everybody's lost something. Well, how I many know we may not know where it is, but God knows where it is. The term the scripture uses is omniscient. It means it's God is all-knowing. Now, that's a bit trite with keys, but, but, but God knows things that we don't know. And one example of this word of knowledge, a number of years ago, I can remember I went to a doctor. He was a friend of mine, and uh, uh, he looked at me after he, he was done treating me, and he said, are, are you about to go on a trip? Because the Lord showed me that there's a vehicle, a van, and it has some problems with its steering, and you need to have it checked out because it could cause an accident. Well, I mean, that'll get your attention because we were about to drive to Mexico. It was an older van, true story. We sent it to the mechanic, and the mechanic looked at the steering mechanism, and whatever the little bar is that connects to the, you know, to the wheel and that apparatus, it was almost worn out, and it could have caused an accident. You say, well... How did that happen? Did he, did he come with a flashlight and look in the van in the middle of the night? No, the Holy Spirit revealed that. That's a word of knowledge. Uh, verse 9, to another person, God gives faith by the same Spirit. Now, this is not just ordinary faith. I mean, we all have faith as Christians. Faith is the door to salvation. This is what I call mountain-moving faith, uh, uh, faith that will, will supersede stage 4 cancer. Faith will that produce a miracle when, when nothing else is possible. It releases power for a miracle. We see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 33. Peter finds a man named Aeneas. He's paralyzed. And Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. 
rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. That's a miracle. It's supernatural. But I suggest this idea of a miracle, of healing, they're all somehow connected with this gift of faith. We see the next one, the gift of healing. We described it there, uh, 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 the gift of healing by the Spirit. Again, it's supernatural healing. I'm grateful for Tylenol. I'm grateful for medicines and doctor's care. I mean, everything that a doctor is able to do or a pharmacist or a chemist, I mean, they've just explored the human body. And they've understand create, creative abilities. But, but, but a, a miracle, the gift of healing is different than that. Uh, here's another one, verse 10. The Spirit gives to another person the power to do miracles. Now, miracles are supernatural events. I've I watched my wife uh, on, on occasion, and, and people regularly come to her and, that are not able to have children and ask her to pray for them. They might be able to, to have a child. Uh, I asked her about this, and she instantly gave me three examples. She said, well, our, our friend, Pastor Ron Hammonds, their youth pastor, uh, they couldn't have a wife. They couldn't have children. Uh, they would, you know, done all that medicine and doctors and all the things we're able to do today, but couldn't have kids. And lo and behold, ministry by the Spirit, they're able to have a children. Now they have several kids. She said the same thing happened in Mexico. One of them even named the child after her. Someone in our Connect class uh, couldn't have a baby. Asked Linnell to pray for them. Now, I know that not all kids, I mean, sometimes it just takes a while to have a, a child. Kids are often born after miscarriages, barren wombs are often open. But is it just possible, you know, you get a track record of three or four that are going like this, that God is up to something? That miracles are not just Jesus walking on the water or, 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 or Peter walking on the water and the miraculous or Jesus turning water into wine. It could be things in the course of life where God intervenes. Uh, here's another one. Uh, 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 the, the next gift is it's called prophecy. Prophecy is literally a message from God. But First uh, Corinthians 14 tells us what this gift is for. It says those who prophesy are speaking to people to give them what? Strength, encouragement, and comfort. Can you say that? Strength, Strength encouragement, and comfort. How many know we all need this? Yeah. Somebody sent me a letter. I want to show it to you. It was in last January. And I've made no secret of the fact for the last three years, I have battled with panic attacks and anxiety. I'm way, way better than I was, but it still kind of bites me sometimes. And I got this letter in the mail, actually, that she gave it to me. She said, Pastor, I was praying for you this morning. The Lord spoke to me in my prayer time and said, you're still dealing with some fear and anxiety. He said it was normal for you to still have some of this, but wanted you to know he has your back. He said again, there's no need to fear him. I have your back. The Lord said again. Now, I don't know how you feel about things like that, but that note is sitting on my dresser because it came to me at a time of weakness and struggle. And whenever I feel like the rope, I'm slipping out of the rope and about to give up, when someone gives me a word of encouragement out of the blue, let me know that's what the gift of prophecy is supposed to do. It strengthens, encourages, and, and builds up. And it actually, the Bible says, we're all to desire this gift of prophecy. So I'm not talking about us all being prophets or making predictions, but sharing words from the Lord, walking close with God, and ministering to other people. Uh, here's another gift. Uh, uh, he gives one the ability to know the difference between good and evil spirits. Some translations call it discernment, the gift of discerning. 
uh, in the New Testament alone, there, in the ESV translation, there are 367 mentions of the word demon or demons plural. That's a huge number, but yet in our culture today, we're taught demons don't even exist. The kids that, uh, at, uh, that go to uh, uh, Texas A&M here were given a book by Carl uh, Sagan that basically said demonology was just a thing of the past. It's what mystics do, and there's no such thing as demons today. So the secular mind doesn't hold place to it, but can I tell you, friends, uh, uh, demonic activity, evil that's in the world that we see today, afflictions that come to people's lives oftentimes have a spiritual root and need spiritually minded people to be able to help bring freedom. And then the last two gifts there, it says the Spirit gives one person the ability to speak in different kinds of languages. Some, person, some translations say to speak in tongues or an unlearned language, and to another the ability to interpret the language. Now, I think this is the most misunderstood gift that's in the body of Christ today. And actually, next, next time I speak, I'm going to talk about my whole message about 1 Corinthians 14. What does this mean? about speaking in a, this supernatural language, this spirit talk, as I'm going to call it, and I'll get back to that then. But I, I want to look at these gifts now as some of them operated in the New Testament. I want to look at five different examples now, and I'm going to show you these gifts in two categories, one which I'm going to call revelation gifts. Revelation gifts have to do with the word of wisdom. Uh, hey, there he is again. Heck, I got him on my phone. Every time I want to talk to somebody, I get to look at him too. <laughs> it's the word of wisdom, uh, knowledge, prophecy, the ability to know the difference between good and evil spirits, to speak in a different language or interpret that language. Can you see that all of these are somehow have a revelation from God, that God somehow reveals things to us? Let me give you a couple examples. Acts chapter 6, uh, the first example is about a deacon. His name is Stephen. Now, for many of us that were taught cessationism, that spiritual gifts are not for today, we were also taught that the gifted people in the Bible were the apostles, and it stopped after the apostolic era, but not true. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Philip, one of the first deacons, the Bible says he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the key. He was full of the Spirit. Again, that implies being under the control or under the Spirit's control. And they set these men, these seven deacons, before the apostles, and they laid their hands on them. That was apostolic authority. Now, look at verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power. Now, that doesn't mean Stephen was a weightlifter. That doesn't mean that Stephen had, a, you know, had, a, had a, a, a daily pass or a daily ticket where he went to legends or wherever and worked out. No, it was spiritual power that was a part of his life. Again, it's the two parts of the railroad track. It's the preaching of the Word of God, but it's the Holy Spirit working through us. Well, Stephen had this, and the Bible says he was also doing great wonders and signs among the people. We don't know what these were, but again, these were some type of miraculous activity. It could have been healing or whatever the case was. But as, as in the case was in the Scripture, the Jews didn't like this. They were jealous, so they rose up and disputed with Stephen, for they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he, which, by which he was speaking. Now, it's this word wisdom that what I want to focus on in the Revelation gifts we don't know exactly what Stephen said to them, 
but likely it was in his discourse. If you would read, uh, actually, if you would pick this up in Acts chapter 6, you would see one of the greatest summaries of the whole Old Testament uh, that Stephen gives to these people. Well, they recognized wisdom that was on him, and the Bible said even further, they, they, they bring him before the council, and everybody who saw him, they saw his face, and his face looked like an angel. So here's a guy that I want you to just pause and think just a moment, what if that was me? What if I had the grace on me that Stephen had? Hey, have you ever been close to anyone, a Christian, and it was just like when you got close to them, you just felt the presence of the Lord? You could just tell that this was a person of prayer. And other Christians that you associate with, you don't feel anything, or it's almost you feel sometimes worldliness. When you're around with people that are just wrapped up in sin, you can almost feel it sometimes. That's a spiritual sense that you're discerning. Well, Stephen had the presence of the Lord so on his life that when people looked at him, they thought they were looking at an angel. And here's a guy that was sharing the word of God, but the Holy Spirit was working through him. Now, let me give you another example about a a revelation gift. Uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 8. On his mission's journey, the scripture says, Paul entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now, most scholars believe that this is the same Philip that was a deacon along with Stephen. Uh, he was a part of what's called the five-fold ministries. Ephesians 4.11 also gives us a list of gifts, but these are gifted people in the body of Christ. They're apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are people who are called. There's a calling on their life. There's an endowment. You don't just go to school to be an apostle. You don't just print a business card to be an apostle. It's a calling. It's an endowment by God. uh, Well, anyway, Philip is an evangelist. He's one of the seven. But notice verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So what does that mean? Well, Corinthians told us clearly these gals close to the Lord was able to speak to people with strength and encouragement. They were able to build people up. And what daddy had was imparted to them. And it's like these girls had this capacity to be able to be an encouragement to people. But it goes another step. Look at verse 10. There's a prophet named Agabus. This is more than the gift of prophecy. This is someone that's called in the office of a prophet in the New Testament. In verse 11, he does something somewhat strange. Oftentimes, God illustrates prophetic things. And people see prophetic things differently. For some people, they hear a word Often, in my case, I'm very visual. I'll see a picture, and the Lord might give me some sense of what that means. But he takes Paul's belt, he ties up his feet and hands, and he says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, what is that? That's a word of knowledge about the future. Just like my doctor friend saw a problem with the van, this prophetic man sees that Paul, and this happened, history records this happened, he goes to Jerusalem and of course he's arrested. This prophet Agabus also predicted a famine in Jerusalem and history records that it happened. So these are what we're calling revelation gifts. Now let's look at the next step, what I'm going to call power gifts. These are the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the the working of miracles. Uh, Acts chapter 16 Verse 16, this is Paul. Paul is on his mission's journey, and he's met by a slave who had a spirit which she predicted the future. 
So here's this girl that has this ability. Now, what I want you to see, this is a demonic counterpart to the New Testament gift of prophecy. This is somehow Satan revealing to people. She's able to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by what? Fortune telling. Hey, have you ever seen a sign around town or someone else? Psychics. Have you ever gone to perhaps a, like a community fair and they have a table with a psychic at a table for 20 bucks? She'll read your hand or whatever the case is. Or the psychic hotline. Now, most of that is just trash. People are just creative and saying what people want to hear. But there is a demonic counterpart because people are longing for the supernatural. Now, the most interesting thing happens here, verse 17. She's following Paul and she's shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Wouldn't you think that's a good thing? I mean, she's talking to people about salvation, but Paul discerned that she was not a believer with the Holy Spirit. He discerned, and this is the gift of discernment, he discerned that this was evil, that she was possessed by a demonic presence. Well, verse 17, she follows Paul and she shouts. Uh, they're telling you how to be saved. Verse 18, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, this is the source of our authority, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, I'm going to ask you the question, is that possible today? I mean, listen, you don't have to look far in the world to know that evil and the presence of evil is manifest everywhere. Didn't the Bible say the greater is he that is in us? Come on, that's the Holy Spirit than he that is in the world. And I want to encourage you, when you see someone that's afflicted in some fashion, to ask the Lord, maybe that is something demonic. Maybe you go to the place of prayer with it, or maybe you go to the person. Because, friends, you don't have to just be the exorcist on television. Come on now. The only horror movie I ever saw when I was, when I was 19, and some dumb girl took me to see The Exorcist, and I went because she was cute. But I, I had nightmares. I just, I just don't like horror movies. I don't like to be afraid. But that's not the way people that are demonically inspired do. They don't turn their heads around and vomit green. In many cases, they wear a business suit. In many cases, they wear a silk dress. But the, but the, the evil demonic presence is moving their life. And uh, the power of God is in us. Mark 16, verse 7, said this was a normal thing that believers could do. Mark 16 says those who believe would be able to do these things as proof. And the first thing Mark said was that they will use my name to force out demons. Again, I suggest to you a power gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 14, let's look at another one. Uh, this case is Paul. Here's a man, he's crippled from birth, and he had never walked. Now, I've seen people even come to our church. I've seen people, uh, there's a, a, a gentleman that comes now. He used to be reeled in in a, in a wheelchair. Then there was a time he was in a walker. Now he's walking around fine. I don't know if that was a, a just the physical processes of his body at work making him better. I don't know if, 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 if the medications helped him or physical therapy or if it was something by strictly the hand of the Lord. I don't know. But in this case, it's very clear. A cripple had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looked intently at him and saw he had faith to be made well. Now, this was a key thing. It was not just the faith of Paul, but in this case, the faith of the man. So Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. 
Now, how many know that would get the attention of everyone? And that was, I suggest to you, the purpose of signs and wonders in the New Testament was to provide a platform to attest to the veracity of gospel preaching. Acts 19, it happens again. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So even handkerchiefs or aprons touched his skin and they were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Now again, when we read through these gifts, I want to encourage you because we'll see, particularly in the latter part of the message, the Bible says that we're to desire spiritual gifts. And hopefully, you're able to see this not just as a historical record, but as a present possibility of what God could do to and through people. Now, here's the deal. I cannot make a miracle happen, but I can have faith and pray that it would happen. But can I tell you this, friends? Prayer and faith cannot guarantee a miracle, but what it does is it opens a door to the Holy Spirit. It opens a door to the Holy Spirit so, so healing can come. And I will guarantee you this, if you have faith, there's a whole lot greater potential that a miracle could happen with faith than without it. Now, uh, I want to remind you again, I read this a couple weeks ago, but I want to read it again because this was not just biblical history. I want to, I want to read this to you in what's called the post-biblical era or after the post-apostolic era. After the apostles had died, there was one of the church fathers. His name was Irenaeus. And, and think about this. He was, a, he was a pupil or a disciple of a man named Polycarp. And Polycarp was a direct disciple of the apostle John. The apostle John was the last apostle to die. He died on Patmos. He discipled Polycarp. Polycarp discipled Irenaeus. And who was, here's what Irenaeus said in his book, Against Heresies, book 5. So it's recorded. He said, we hear many brethren in the church possess prophetic gifts. This is not the New Testament. This is after the New Testament. Who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages, receiving grace from Jesus. In His name they do miracles. And some drive out devils. Others see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others heal the sick by laying their hands on them. And the lastly, he says, even the dead have been raised up. So I want to encourage you, listen, if it was good enough for Jesus, good enough for the 12, good enough for the 70, good enough for the church of the book of Acts, good enough for the church in Irenaeus' day, could it well be good enough for the church in our day? And my prayer for me and for you is that faith would awaken in our hearts that we would open the door, kind of like letting down the drawbridge over the castle moat and asking the Holy Spirit to do miraculous works. Now, I'm going to close the message in this last part. How can I receive... A spiritual gift. How can I receive... There he is again. How can I receive a spiritual gift? And I want to give you three things that are biblical, uh, but, but very perhaps simple and yet profound. The first one is simply to seek and desire. You can listen to this message and you can either say, well, I'm not going to believe that. That's okay. You can be a part of our church and not believe that. Or you could say, well... You know, if God wants to use me in some gift, he'll do it to me. And I'll just kind of wait until it happens. Or you could do what the Bible says. You could seek and earnestly desire. Listen again, Paul's writings, and this is where that list of the gifts came from. In 1 Corinthians 14, he said, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Uh, have you ever wanted something and thought about it a lot? You come on now. Every one of us do this. 
I, I've, I, I love the outdoors, and I love to landscape and flowers and stuff, and it seems like I have one project after the other. And my, ne my next project, I've got a, I, there's a little gazebo that was built in the time of Noah, and uh, it was falling apart, and I'm getting it fixed up, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make me a little path uh, down to it. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put gravel or rocks or whatever. And I had my mom out there, but I'm just kind of dreaming about it and I'm thinking about it and I'm saving money towards it. Well, what am I doing? I'm desiring it and I'm moving towards it. When I, go, I called a friend of mine this week that's in landscaping. What would you charge to, to do the, the metal, you know, the, the little metal things that hold the gravel in? And, and I'm gonna stop by the, the, the landscape company and I'm gonna see what a, what, what a pallet of, of rocks cost and, and, and what it would look like. But I'm seeking, I'm earnestly desiring this thing. Well, the Bible says we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. That is, that you might encourage, that you might, that you might hear a message from the Lord and help people. And he says it again, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, or some translations say more helpful gifts. Well, listen, if I'm going to go to the hospital and someone is sick, if I, uh, this morning I got a text message from a church member uh, that's struggling with Lyme's disease and it's affecting the, the beating of their heart. Well, you know what? I'm going to pray but I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, would you give me the gift of healing? Would you let faith operate in me? Would you do a miracle so when we lay hands on her and believe that you might do a miracle in her life? That's earnestly desiring. You say, well, is it going to happen? I, I, I don't know, but I hope so. I believe so, which is a whole lot better than say, Sarah, Sarah. I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Seek and desire. Now, here's the second one. Very practical, the laying on of hands for spiritual impartation. Now, we talked about that last week. That's literally when a believer places his or her hands on another person, believing by faith that the Holy Spirit will somehow, there would be a transference. Now, where do you get that, preacher? I've never heard that before. Glad you asked. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the, the gift you have which was given you by prophecy on the day of your birth. Is that what it said? No. It says, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. All we're doing is reading the Bible today. I don't know how that worked, but I can tell you a similar experience I had in my life. When I was about 22, I was getting out of the Navy, trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. And we had a prophetic presbytery in the church where gifted people that were prophets in the body of Christ came. And as I knelt before these three men, it was just like it was yesterday. I heard a man, his name was George Evans. And when he placed his hands on me, the first thing out of his mouth, he says, a shepherd's heart is in him. And something leapt inside me. Because the day, the day after I got saved in a Navy boot camp, gratefully raised in a Methodist church, saved in a Navy boot camp, had a Gideon's New Testament, and as soon as I got saved, I gathered the sailors in the back of the barracks, and we'd sit down in our underwear at the end of the day. That's all we had. We didn't have robes and that kind of stuff and couches. So we're sitting in the barracks talking about the Bible. When I go to Alaska, I start a Bible study. When I go to, back to Moffett Field, I start a Bible study. When I go to San Jose State University, I start a Bible study. So all these things, this was in me, but when it was confirmed, not somebody telling me what to do and me blindly following, but it confirmed what God was wanting to do in my life. And something leapt in me. 
And then they laid their hands on me and prayed for me. And I suggest to you, it was a pivotal moment. And one reason why I stand before you today, because the gift of prophecy confirmed what God had already called me to do. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, so that's the laying on of hands because Paul said it was given to you by prophecy. So that's, and, that, and again, when we have altar calls, as we'll do at the end of the service today or any time, listen, I would come to prayer not just when I had a problem, but if I was wanting the Holy Spirit to operate in me in a spiritual gift. Or, or if you're, for example, if you're going to, a, to a, uh, maybe you have a, a family, a relative that's dying, and the doctors have given them no hope. Remember a few minutes ago when we read that, that uh, uh, people would bring handkerchiefs? Did I read that scripture to you? I can't recall. Yeah, that, that people would bring handkerchiefs uh, to Paul, and he would anoint them with oil, and they would take it and simply touching that person, that handkerchief, that anointing, and they would be healed. Listen, if I had someone that was deathly sick, I, I, I'd be grateful that I had a good doctor, but I would come to the church, I'd find an elder, I'd find a, a Christian, and I would say, look, would you just put some oil on this, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and could we just pray, because I'm going to go to the hospital today, and I want to ask God to do a healing miracle. I think you have way greater chance of God intervening with that approach as opposed to whatever will be, will be. I'm preaching better than your amening again. Acting in faith. Uh, here's the last one. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've got to act in faith. Now, let me read the scripture. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy, the same one we read about the gift by the laying on of my hands. He said, for this reason, I remind, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What in the world could that mean? Fan into flame. Let me know if you're, if you're grilling on the grill and your wife said, when's it going to be ready and the fire is not very strong, you get a newspaper. and you fa- Or what I do, I got an old hair dryer and I knew my wife wouldn't let me have it the first time so I used it and it sucked up some charcoal and then she gave it to me. But anyway, <laughs> if I just got a little fire going, if I put that hair dryer on that thing, fanning the flame, it's going to start going whoosh. I mean, it's going to start burning in an accelerated fashion. If you know anything about fire in the fireplace, you can have a roaring fire, but if you don't add wood and if you don't poke it periodically, that fire is going to die down. Where Paul is saying, you've got to do the same thing with your spiritual gift. You've got to fan the flame, uh, which is this gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So how would we apply this? Um, my wife and I both endeavor to exercise the gift of prophecy or word of knowledge. She's a little more fluent in it than I am. I have to stir myself a little bit more. We have actually in our Connect class, the last class, we have several people that are gifted in this prophetic ministry. They'll minister to the whole class individually. But I've got to kind of stir myself a little bit more. Well, a few weeks ago, if you recall, in, in one of our services we had, I had what I believe was a word from the Lord. It was a prophecy that someone was standing before an open door. And I said, listen, the Lord wants you to know that, 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 that you don't need to be afraid, but go through that door. And that was not for everybody in the room. I mean, you have to judge it. Just because somebody says it's God doesn't mean it is. But one person, she's right over here, she said, God, uh, uh, I felt that was confirmation. I was thinking about changing jobs, and it was the word of the Lord for me, and it gave me the courage to go ahead and do it, and I'm happy that I did. 
But that didn't happen because I studied on Saturday, but I had to stir that gift. Come on, I hadn't planned to do it. Well, this is what Paul is talking to Timothy about. Why do we want people who exercise spiritual gifts to be any different than a little child riding the bicycle? When my little grandson, little John, starts to blow the duck call or turkey call or, or bicycle, he's not going to be an expert when he starts. He's going to get on it. He's going to try. He's going to experiment. And he's going to grow. And isn't it just as possible that we have to grow in the use of spiritual gifts and give each other that freedom to be able to grow at the same time that we discern? Now, I want to share this little thought with you. Uh, what is this? It's a cell phone. Can I tell you, that is one of the greatest misnomers that I've ever heard. But that's what we call it. It's a phone. And for some of us, and if I could give you this parallel, this phone is just like us. And if all I do is talk on the phone, I've missed a lot of possibility. I've missed the possibility, number one, of seeing my grandson every time that I look. But I also have found that there's a potential that's inside me. My calendar is on it. My pictures are on it. I use the camera. I've got three cameras I bought that I never use anymore because I use this. A clock is on it. Uh, uh, my maps are on it. Uh, I keep track of my mileage on it. My music is on it. Uh, I, I have calculators on it. My Facebook is on it. I have games on it. I keep track of notes. My I can find the weather all over the world. I've got Bible programs, concordances. I can find restaurants. I can find the price of gold and the price of stocks. Uh, I can listen to 145 podcasts from preachers. I can listen to radio personalities. I can look at my credit card. I can reason a dozen sources of news all because I downloaded the apps and started using it. Is it just possible that there's many of us as believers that all we're doing is using the Holy Spirit like a phone? When what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to use the gifts. Come on. Because the potential is within us to do great things in His name. And there needs to be a, not only a declaration of the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of people. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good hand today. I'm going to close with this last scripture and then, and then we'll pray. Because when you and I as believers use spiritual gifts, incredible things can happen. Acts 13, we're right in the middle of the book of Acts. The gospel at this point has been centered in Jerusalem around Peter the apostle. Now it's about to shift to the rest of the world through the apostle Paul. And this is how God did it. In Acts 13, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, what's it say? The Holy Spirit said. Now, do you think that came out of a loudspeaker or, 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 or just a voice in the air? No, I believe it was this prophet that was speaking. The Holy Spirit said, separate from me or set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, we laid our hands on them and sent them off. Now, do you realize that you and I are Christians today because of this experience? We're, this is where the gospel coming to Texarkana or the West started. You see, the goal that God had as Pastor Nick and the crew comes, God needed a man to spearhead world evangelism. And the way they found that man is they're seeking the Lord through worship and fasting. God spoke prophetically. But do you remember after the prophet spoke, he didn't just say, great, let's go. Look at this scripture. The Bible tells us about prophecy. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, don't treat prophecy as if it's unimportant. Don't despise it. 
but test everything and then keep what is good. And this is exactly what we have to do with any revelation gift. I mean, no, just because somebody says it's God doesn't mean it's God, but it could be. And they did more fasting and prayer, and somehow they found inner confirmation. Yes, we believe this is the Lord. And then they laid their hands on them, spiritual impartation for an apostolic authority. And the result is the gospel goes around the whole world, around the Mediterranean and ultimately to the United States and the four corners of the earth. I mean, if that's the way they did church back then, wouldn't that be a great way to do church today? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? We just close our eyes a moment and just have a God moment. And say, Lord, I, I, I don't want to just read about history. I want to live it. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that we believe the Bible. I want to ask you to help us make that step from what we read and believe to what we experience. Well, we want to ask you today, we, first of all, we want to say thank you that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. He said it would be a good thing. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, the Holy Spirit would give us power to be his witnesses. And we want to have on one hand gospel truth and the other hand the power of the Spirit. We want to have in our life, God, these revelation gifts. Words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophecy and, and discernment and the capacity to speak in a, a prayer language and to worship you and, and to understand what it means. We, God, we would even ask and pray that those power gifts would operate in us. Things to deal with the demonic, for sick people, for miracles. God, we want to do our part. We want to seek and desire. We want to have people lay their hands on us and pray we want to have the courage to, to step out and, and give God an opportunity come Holy Spirit today would you just fill us afresh as we volitionally choose to yield control of our lives to you welcome Holy Spirit use us today in great and profound ways let this not just be something we practice at church let us practice at the workplace. Let us practice in the marketplace. Let it be active and alive in our altar calls at church. Let us impart it to our children like Philip did with his four daughters who prophesied. Let us see it in our day. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close one last song here. And I'm going to have our prayer team come. And we'll pray for any personal need that may be in your life. Uh, someone that you care about, you love, you want prayer for them, we'll pray for them. But how about what we talked about today? Maybe you are seeking a spiritual gift. Maybe you're desiring a gift and you want someone to lay their hands on you and, and pray over you. We'd be honored to do that today. Maybe you're desiring to that the Holy Spirit would just fill you. That it wouldn't just be a one-time experience, but you would walk in this like Stephen the deacon. Let us pray for you today. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray today is about your personal soul about your relationship with God. Listen, friend, I, I, I look at this little baby and I thought, my son was a little baby yesterday, but now he's 28 and for the first time I'm called the grandfather. Life goes by so fast and you never know how long you're going to live. But 
the Bible says one day we're going to stand before God and give an account for our life. The Bible says heaven and hell are real. The Bible says there's a way to escape the judgment of God. That's through believing in Christ who died on the cross for us. Jesus bore our sins. He took our place. He died so you and I wouldn't have to experience eternal judgment, but so our sins could be forgiven. So I ask you today, if you're here today, and you need to get right with God, do, do you want to become a follower of Christ? Is it a step you need to make, friends? It'll be the greatest step you've ever made. We'd be honored to pray for you, and I promise you we will not embarrass you, but we'll pray for you as you make a commitment to Christ, and we'll give you some things to help you live the Christian life. But if that's you, and you feel something drawing you now, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. This is not to join a church, but it's to commit your life to Christ. If that's you, when we begin to pray, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross as they pray for you for the biggest step you'll ever make. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. They're here. They'll pray for anything. But most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Let's sing this last song.